We are slowly but surely working our way through verses 12 to 16, the building of the body. If you would please follow in the reading of the Word of God, beginning at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful schemings. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body is being fitted and held together by every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, because the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Father, help us to have ears to hear. I was praying this morning out of Ephesians 1 that you would open the eyes of our heart that we may see. Father, help us. This is dangerous times. And I ask that you would help us to stand in Christ, His grace, His glory. Thank you, Father, for drawing us together. Thank you, in Christ's name. Amen. We are looking at verse 12 today. I set the precedent last week on these gifted men and why they are gifted men are given unto the body of Christ. As I read through this over and over and over, this text should be the direction of all churches. I don't care what your denomination is. I don't care what your background is. This is what the church is. And it's a, it's a basic charter of the church. If you wanted to, you could call it the Magna Carta of the church. This is what church is. And, and it's, and it's amazing to me in this day and age, what I see in Castle Rock, what I see in Colorado, what I see in different places that I've moved around in this country, in contrast, to churches that I have been in out of the country, especially in oppressed areas. This is the direction of God's design. This is His church. Uh, and it is amazing to me how we, as I, I, I believe it's more of an American phenomenon than anything, is that we are so flippant with the church. And yet... I shared with you last week, Christ died for the church, and you and I are a part of it. And yet people, what do you call it, lack commitment? I don't know what you call it. Or they want it convenient. See, we've already looked at it in depth. The Lord gives gifts to every believer. Amen. But He also gives gifted men. And that is to all of the churches. I, I deal with people on a regular basis. When you've been in the community as long as I have, uh, I've seen them uh, come and go. And, you know, I'll run into people who have been in the church in the past, and then they'll say this. Uh, and it's amazing because I'll ask them, where are you going? Well, I haven't found a place. 
Do you realize what that is? I'm not committed. I mean, there's what, last I checked, there's 54 evangelical churches in Castle Rock. Now, I'll be honest with you, a whole bunch of them I wouldn't go to. But I'm sure that somebody out there has found the Bible. And I think about this, that he has given gifts to every believer, and he's given gifted men to every church. It's to all the churches. And as I look around, I think this passage is absolutely necessary for the church. Every week, I receive something from somebody on church growth, how to do it. And that's perplexing to me. I'm a simple man. And I read that he said he was going to build his church. And I'm not the brightest bulb in the package. I don't want to compete with him. I'll let him go. Knock yourself out, man. (laughs) I'll be right here. This is the plan and the pattern for the building of the church. That's what this text is. And anything taught, anything preached that does not intersect with this text is not valid. I don't care what it is. I don't care how cute it is. But if it doesn't cross this text, it's not worth the paper or the breath that is used to speak it. This is God's divine plan for the growth of His church. This is how He's going to do it. And it's God's way of doing it. So we should probably pay attention, eh? There is so much information offered on what to do with the church today that it is absolutely amazing to me that people are thinking up all this stuff. I'll give them credit. I'll give them credit. Maybe that's just the difference between them and me. But the bottom line, this is God's design, and this is foundational for the body of Christ. I hear this said a lot. What is the church to be? I hear this. What is the vision of the church? And I'm thinking 2,000 years out, we ain't got that figured out yet. There is a crisis of identity of the church. What is it? What is it to be? How is it to function? What are the church's priorities? And you know what? I could ask that many different people and I'd get a different answer to each of those. And it's, it's kind of amazing to me. And that's what 11 through 16 is. It tells me, what is the church? What is it to be? How is it to function? And you know what? I like it. I told you I'm a simple man. I like it because there's one focus and there's one goal. Period. There's, a, there's nothing else. And the first part of 12 is kind of like the capsule of it for the equipping of the saints. For the perfecting of the saints. For the completing of the saints. For the maturing of the saints. That's what the Greek word originally meant. All of those is encompassed in it. Some 
I have been in the church, I have been in this church for over 35 years. I've been a senior pastor for 26. I have seen, I have seen some things. I have seen churches have contests. Who's going to reach the most people? Ministry success. If you ask yourself today, what will people, what would you classify as ministry success? What would they say? I can tell you. Attendance. How many bodies you got? I've got a guy that lives up the street here. He's a, he's a character. He's into churchianity, is what I call it. And listen, I'm not saying that I ain't said to his face. I'm not talking about him. He comes from Simi Valley, and they had perfected church. And so he's trying to help me perfect church. And he tells me, he says, well, you know, you just got to get more people. And I said, well, next Sunday, we, football starts. I'm going to get a big screen TV, hot dog and beer. I can pack it. That ain't church. That ain't church. And yet I see that same methodology in the church. If I get bodies into the building, then I have success. I've seen him do it in competition. I remember the Southern Baptist said that we want 2,000 by the year 2000. They're still working on it. Now I see a great huge thing is based on entertainment. You have arrived as a church when you get one of them smoke machines. I want one. That could be totally awesome. Get somebody to bang on the drums and I'll hide back behind here and fill this place with smoke and then I'll stand up. I look around at our society and I guess if I look at it for our our country, uh, we have no idea of commitment. I have three kids. Two of them went to college and they're all colleged up. The third one went to college for a little bit, said he couldn't figure out what he's going to do, so he did uh, nine years in the Army, airborne. He understands commitment. And I mean, and he's the youngest. And you sit there and you listen to him compared to the other two who are older, and you're sitting there going, Man, <laughs> I think everybody should go in the army. <laughs> at least, at least do five. You come out and have a different preview of what world life is. But our society doesn't know this. But our society does know convenience. It does know convenience. And, and I've heard this before. Well, I just didn't get anything out of it. I went to church and I didn't get anything out of it. You know what I always want to say to them? I've never had the chance. But if I get the chance, I will walk through that door. I would like to ask them, what did you put into it? If you didn't get anything out of it, then what did you put into it? What can the church do for them? That's what people are going to church for now. Some... Is it entertaining enough? I remember a church up in uh, Denver. I was there for a conference, and they had this lady who was doing special music. And you'll have to forgive me, but I shut my eyes, and that was Janis Joplin. 
Okay, now she was singing spiritual music. They're like, wow, man, that's, that's Janis Joplin. I never knew you could get the blues into Christianity. It was good. But I'll be honest with you, I didn't really get anything out of it. Some, if it's entertaining enough, then they'll be there. I have an old dear friend uh, that, uh, well, he was preaching on the shoreline as the boats were going out to Dunkirk. So that makes him an old dear friend. You know what he called it? He says, I look at the church today and he says, you know what I see? And I said, what's that, Stephen? He said, I see sanctified vaudeville. Now, some of you may know what vaudeville is. Some of you may not. Uh, Google it. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I backed away from it for a second. I was like, I remember preaching at a conference in Denver, and the guy I followed was a, a Baptist preacher, and he was explaining to me he was, they were sharing the gospel through ballet. And I had to follow that. I was like, ballet? I hate ballet. How would I have ever gotten saved? So I went up and gave my text. The blood of innocent man is not on my hands, for I have not forsaken the full counsel of God. He's mad at me. It's really weird they haven't asked me to come back either. Listen, there is no limit in what I have witnessed to get people to church. I remember a vacation Bible study that they were giving the kids helicopter rides. I wanted to go. <laughs> But I knew I wasn't going to get anything out of it. I actually heard a pastor not long ago here in town saying that preaching drove the people away. And they need to do something to bring the people back. And I looked at him I said, well, I hope you get that figured out. God's mandate is still the same. God's standard is still the same. God's pattern is still the same. We must see the goal of the church as God sees the goal of the church. It says here it is for the equipping. It is for the perfecting. It is for the completing of the saints. It's not to entertain. I'm not here to entertain the saints. You do know this. I'm not even here to evangelize the saints. Have you ever been in one of them churches? They always have an altar call. You got to get saved. You got to get saved. Over and over and over. And if you evangelize them long enough, they'll think their carnality is spirituality. I have seen that. What do you accomplish? When you go to church, what are you trying to accomplish? When I come to church, I know what I'm trying to accomplish. What happens in the church must get back to the Word of God. The Word says that the church is for the perfecting of the saints, for the completing of the saints, for the maturing of the saints. That's why you should go to church. Listen, do you understand? That isn't even the responsibility of the Sunday school. That is the responsibility of the corporate worship. The reason there were apostles, as we looked at two weeks ago, is that they were going to write the Word of God. And then they were going to take it where Christ was not named. 
The reason that there was prophets is that they would lay on the foundation of the apostles' teachings so the church would be built up. Once that was accomplished, once the canonization of Scripture was finished, then the revelatory process ceased. And then we see evangelists and teaching shepherds. Right? What are they doing? <laughs> Same thing the apostles and the prophets were doing. The evangelists take the place of the apostles and the teaching shepherds take the place of the prophets. It's all the same for the perfecting of the saints. We always, you will hear Christians say, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? We've heard it. Let me ask you a question. Why would we use a term, this is contemporary worship and this is traditional worship? If it's the same yesterday and today and forever, then there's only one way God wants worship. And it's evidently important to him. There are three chapters on creation and 43 on worship. And I don't think he needs our input into it. There is no change in that plan. That should be the commitment of the church. That is my commitment. If you guys don't want that, then tell me and I'll leave. But that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to work on perfecting the saints. Some of you take more time than others. Well, I'm honest. You didn't want me to lie to you, did you? Okay, so if this is the goal of the church to perfect the saints, then I need some tools. We looked at this last week. He gave us some. You know what they are? Gifted men. Gifted men. Gifted evangelists and gifted shepherd teachers. Understand Ephesians 2, verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. The foundation was what? The apostles and prophets. Who's left? Evangelists and shepherd teachers. Pastor teacher I shared with you last week is a hyphenated word in the Greek text. It is put together as one. It's a shepherd teacher. There's not pastors and teachers. You have the word poimia means to shepherd. You shepherd and teach. And that makes sense if you think about it. You need to lead and feed. Right? The goal is the same. Mature the saints. That process is critical. And if you haven't figured it out yet, that is my heart commitment. I've been doing it from the pulpit for 25 years. I've been doing it in this church for 30. Gifted men are to perfect the saints. Okay? Why and how? Okay. If you look at verse 12, you will see... Three things. One, gifted men equip the saints. They complete the saints. They mature the saints. Okay. Two, then when they have been perfected and matured, what happens? They do the work of ministry. When they are doing, these mature saints are doing the work of ministry, what happens? The body is edified. 
The body is strengthened. And then you see a strong church. That is the process. That is the process of perfecting. The gifted men perfect the saints. Then they do the work of ministry. And the body of Christ will be strengthened. Get after it. Gifted men. I wonder how many of us appreciate the gifted men. You ever thought about that? God has gifted these individuals. They are a gift to the body of Christ. And do we appreciate them? Well, you don't understand. He didn't give an altar call. He didn't wave at me when he was downtown. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. Oh, well. But you know what I will do? I will give you the word. And I will fervently pray for you. And that's what I'm supposed to do. It is God-given task for the man of God, the teaching shepherd, the evangelist, is to equip these saints, to perfect these saints, to build them up to maturity. All right, listen, do you understand it's not, it's not just to get people there? If you, if you lead someone to Christ, why do we have a tendency to say, Amen, brother, you, Amen, sister, you're my, you're saved, hallelujah, and then abandon them. If anybody had a newborn child, would you just say, Well, that's done, I'm out of here. And yet, is that not what we're supposed to do? Is to grow them? How do you grow an infant? You feed and you lead. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. What's well, hot, Daddy? Touch it. You'll get it. Okay, now that we got that lesson done, we'll move on to part B. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? But yet, what's what we do in the church? Make them so they are not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Get them mature. Get them complete. Get them that they will start doing the work of ministry. One simple thing God has given us to do. And you know what? That is what my task is. Okay, you know what I really like about it? I know what my task is, but God knows how easily I confuse. So he gave me one tool. One tool. You know the text. All Scripture is God-breathed, profitable for doctrine, instruction, correction, reproof, that the man of God may be what? Perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The tool of perfection is what? All Scripture. All scripture. My task is to take the word of God and feed it to the people of God so that they may grow up by it. Okay. Now, that one was simple, right? Very simple. Very simple. It's the word of God. Makes sense. All right. But there are three other things that God uses to perfect the saints. All right. One is prayer. Prayer is perfecting. Okay. And I'll deal with that in a few minutes. But the other one, the second one is trials. James 1, the trying of your faith will cause its 
perfect work. Okay? Third thing, I went into these in detail last week, is suffering. First Peter chapter 5, after you have suffered a while, God will make you perfect. Alright? So you got prayer, trial, suffering, and the Word. Alright? Now listen, I like this because the trials and the suffering are God's business. The prayer and the Word is my business. See, if I give you the Word and I pray for you, when the trials and the suffering come, you have a theology to stand on so you are not tossed to and fro with the trial and the suffering. Why do you see such chaos in the church? Well, I tell you what, if the church promotes a high wire act to get people in the door when trials and tribulations come, that high wire act is not going to help them in any way. Nor will the fancy little smoke machine. That's what gifted men are committed to. Prayer and the Word. Acts chapter 6. Remember it? Apostles, we will give ourselves continually to the prayer and the ministry of the Word. And I will appoint men over the other work. The busy things that have to be taken care of. And the shepherd teacher should be given unto prayer and the Word. True men of God are single-minded. The church is dependent on these gifted Men, for the maturing of the saints and fervent prayer. A verse that uh, slapped me pretty hard when uh, I became an elder. I actually have it written. Somebody took a picture of my Bible on this pulpit, and then underneath it, they wrote this text. Colossians 1, 28, we proclaim Him. Okay, it comes out of verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is the antecedent, so we proclaim Him. Who's Him? Christ. We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. All of the gifted men, this is all they should have ever known. This is all they've been called to. Christ whom we preach, warning and admonishing. That's the negative side. Teaching every man in all wisdom. That's the positive side. Why? So that you may be warned and taught to make you complete. And doesn't matter what your trial or your suffering is. Paul's view of the ministry is to get everybody and to teach them everything that they may be totally mature. Keeps you busy. That's the task of ministry. Warning and teaching. Chapter 4 of Colossians. Verse 12. Epaphroditus, who is one of your number... A bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Have you ever 
labored in prayer? Paphras did. Why? That you may stand perfect and fully assured in all of the will of God. Everybody wants to know what the will of God is? It's right there. Right there. So you will know that you are perfect and you will have complete understanding of what the will of God is. Listen, it's not an accident that the apostles said, we will give ourselves to the word and prayer. Listen, that's the infant church. There was no plan B. We had better give ourselves to the word and prayer. There's, uh, there's nothing redeeming in evangelizing the saints. You know, I had a friend of mine and we were in a conference together. And he says, well, I believe in the altar call all the time. He says, because you need to make people make a decision. I said, well, I disagree. I have never preached or taught ever in my life when I did not preach or teach for change. That's why uh, people sometimes say, well, you don't linger around and talk to everybody right after your message. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I go back there and pray that God will open the eyes of those who heard this, open the eyes of their heart, that they may understand the wisdom and the knowledge that the Holy Spirit has just poured out. Because you know what? (laughs) I can't make you get it. I can't make you get it. I remember reading in Hebrews 13, said, uh, you must respect the elders who have charge over you, for they have to give an account for your souls. And I remember mad at God. Wait a minute, Lord. Them is your sheep. Don't make me give an account for them. I'm doing what you said to do. I, you know, lead a horse to water, then you have to shoot it. See, these are things that you and I have to pay attention to. Do I thirst for the Word of God? Because if you do, then you will go to your knees. The Word will drive you to prayer. Prayer will drive you to the Word. There's nothing redeeming about evangelizing a saint. Over and over and over. I remember a guy out of Arizona. He could get an altar call out of any text in Scripture. And it used to amaze me. How did you do that? He said, well, I'm an evangelist. But that ain't in that text. How did you do that? And you know, it always sounded like it worked. And I was like, man, I don't know. There's times, yeah, I'll charge an altar call. When the text lends itself to it, if the text don't lend itself to it, I'm not going to do some kind of theological yoga and try to make it. I can't sit around and think up gimmicks and programs trying to find a way to make people do things. I can't get a way to find people to be something. All I know is the Word of God. All I know is that I have seen prayer work. And the church, I do know, needs maturing. So I suggest that we spend our energy on maturing the saints. Just an idea. Not working on a structure 
or a methodology. Get in the Word and then pour the Word out after you get it. And then pray that who you just spilled it on, they get it. We should be giving our lives to prayer and the Word. Because what I have learned is, in my years, is that that changes people. And it changes people on the inside. On the inside. You know, and I, I hear a lot of stuff, and it's, it's, you know, I had a pastor actually one time, huge church. He says, well, what we're trying to do is modify their behavior. And I was like, well, I thought that's what prison was for. You put people in prison, it modifies them. At least for that time. Listen, it, too many in the body of Christ today think it's packaging. What does it look like? How do I make it look? When the truth is, it's perfecting. Listen, entertaining. Listen, I grew up in the good music time. All right? It's good music. I wasn't saved. Don't get rock and roll and hell and all that thing. I know all that. But at least when I listen to that, I know it's worldly. Some of the Christian stuff I hear today, you what was that? But anyway, I... I understand music. I love music. When you can't sing, you love music. It's an interesting concept. But you know what? It doesn't have any perfecting ability. I have seen and I heard of Christian high wire acts. And I've heard of Christian, well, I told you about it, ballet. I ride a motorcycle. They said, well, you know, you ought to get with uh, something for Christians or Christ for writers or something like that. And, you know, I said, there's just a very few people that I feel comfortable riding with, to be honest with you. And my Bible says, do not tempt the Lord your God. It's just so, you know, some of these people, because I, I don't know if you know Sturgis, big motorcycle rally, half a million people show up there and see how stupid they can be in a week. Okay, And, you know, they said, well, we're going to get a bunch of Christians and we're all going to go up there and share the gospel. And I said, there ain't nobody up there going to want to hear your gospel. Well, maybe the guy that misses the corner, he might want to hear it. But the rest of them wouldn't know what you told them the next day. Again, I call it what my friend did. It's vaudeville. Vaudeville. Yet so many in the church today are just along for the ride. We are called to perfect the saints. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4, in its context. Okay, verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited. And he understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about other words, out of which arise envy and strife, abusive language and evil suspicions. The constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. You don't see that much today, do you? Godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. 
We have brought you nothing into the world, and so we take anything out of it either. What he's getting at right there is command and teach true doctrine. Give them, the word is, is the word we get hygienic from. Clean words. Clean doctrine. Give yourself to it. Chapter 4 of that letter, verse 13. Until I come, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. You know what that is? That's the definition of expository preaching. That is it. You, you, you take the doctrine, you read it, you explain it, and you apply it. See, that's why God's got me doing this, because he says he can handle simple. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2. The things that you have heard it from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You also know the text out of 1 Timothy. Preach the word. When? In season. Out of season. You know what that means? Always. <laughs> That's, I mean, I listen to people try to explain that. And I was like, it's just one word. It's always. You're either in season, you're out of season. But you should always be what? Preaching the word. You will never get a commitment out of entertainment. You will never get a commitment out of experience. And I shall teach to those who want to be fed. I have a very simple focus. People say, well, are you Slavic? And I was like, what? Do I look Slavic? They said, well, no, you go to Russia and go to Georgia. I go where they want the book. If they want the book, I'm in. I don't care where it is. It's that simple. Well, but no, that's it. I don't have a bias against anybody. It's just that I know that Europe is dying because they had too much book, I guess. I was in, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of it, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' church in London. And I think about that great man. Man, he, he hurt my feelings. <laughs> I just, you read things about him, he's just, <laughs> Okay, why am I doing this? And I went to his church. It's just right in the corner from Scotland Yard. So I went around there and I seen it. And I was like, wow, man. So I, I went into the auditorium. And here's that, that tub thing that he would stand up behind. And then all around him, there's balconies all over the place. And it's all around. And everybody's out there. And I thought, how awesome would it have been to be in here and listen to this guy exposit Romans? And then I walked out, and there's a guy out there, and he started telling me what was going on. And the thing has become a circus. And I thought, you, you, you didn't know Dr. Jones? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was good. But we have to reach the people now. And you do it through magic tricks? Ah, I'm glad he's passed away in the mid-70s. 80s, I think it was. It's very clear that there's only one thing. And that the role of the church and the goal of the church is to teach the word and pray for those who heard it. 
It does take time. It does take commitment. Which means that I don't have time to run around and do all the programs and do all the things that people think that I should do. I have seen so many programs fail. I have seen some programs that they hope that the Holy Spirit is for this. And yet, those same people, I ask them a simple question. How much time do you study? I ask these guys around here, the pastors here in Castle, curiosity. They're all about the same. About an hour and a half a week. Because they don't want to damper the Holy Spirit because you got to give Him a chance. You'll get a little information and then He'll augment it when you get to the pulpit. I did that once. <laughs> I didn't get any augmentation at all. <laughs> I just stood up here. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm waiting for augment. <laughs> it's not coming. Sing again. That perfecting comes from studying. I can't take you any deeper than I am. Okay? I have to wear it out. People say, well, how much time do you spend in the study? Gosh, not enough. Well, how much time is that? Probably all together, 45 hours a week. I've gotten a little better at it because when you've been doing it for 26 years, and I used to teach five times a week, you kind of get a, a deeper well. <laughs> But do you see what I'm trying to get at? You're not ever going to mature anybody if you ain't growing. I can't help you unless I'm digging deep. Paul told young Timothy, study to show yourself a worker not ashamed, rightly dividing truth. I wonder how many churches in this town have bypassed Ephesians 4 altogether. If you are going to make disciples, I would highly advise you to study some. Okay? Just an idea. So I take chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I follow it and follow it and follow it. The Bible tells me to perfect the saints. That's what I must do. That is my first priority. Listen. And I'll close with this. I want you to think about it. The problems that come into the church come because of a lack of knowledge. If you go back to your text there in Ephesians. Until we all, verse 13, all gain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We all have to be in the unity of faith. Hosea said, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Christians are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and schemes of the deceitful people. Why? Because they don't know. The failure in the church is not programming. It is weak teaching. When I can hear a pastor say, when we preached, we run people off, I thought, 
That's good. That's good. Fit it out. Get the ears that want to hear. Because you'll grow them, and what will they do? They will do the work of ministry, and guess what they'll do? Strengthen the body. Interesting concept. How many worry about Castle Rock Baptist Church? This is for you. I thought this up this morning. I thought you would really enjoy this. How many worry about the empty seats instead of concentrating on the occupied seats? Charles Spurgeon, in lectures to his students, had a young man come up to him and says, "Um, Dr. Spurgeon, I just don't have very many people, and the people who come, I can't keep them. Spurgeon looked at him and said, You are blessed, young man. That's the least you have to give an account for. And there's times, amen, we are to perfect them. Why? Next week, to do the work of ministry. Let's pray. Father, I come before you, the author and the finisher. Father, I still am overwhelmed in times with a broken heart that you shed your blood for your church. Father, help us. Help us who are called by your name to walk worthy, to walk overwhelmed with the privilege of being in the body of Christ, to be the reflection of Christ in a lost and dying world. Father, let us grow. May we, as the deer, thirst for the brooks. May we thirst for your word. But Father, may we never be satisfied. May we just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. Overwhelm us with your presence. Overwhelm us with your wisdom. And Father, may we not be tossed to and fro. In Christ's name, amen.